anyone does anyone know the name of a porn star that the kids know I don't know have either of you guys been to Florence and seen uh, Michelangelo's David my, my word I've seen is David <laughs> it was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying beware of the leopard, leopard, leopard welcome leopard. to beware of the leopard the podcast that's more relaxing than filling an ebony bath full of white sand I'm Mark Stedman and I'll glubber for you. And I'm John Bands, and the whole business with the cheese and the squeaking is just a front. I'm John Hickman, and I could talk all four legs off an actor in Megadonkey. We're about to get into some serious D topics. But before that, in response to our Twitter question of something you were given that demonstrated a complete lack of knowledge of the gift receiver, Ben Whitehouse says a book by Rob Liddle was his uh, particular memory. Uh, also, Podcast Playlist pointed us to an article that suggests Google have invented a wearable Babelfish. And Ben Johnson suggested that instead of casting one person for Marvin, we rotate a number of different voices and blame the GPP feature for the lack of continuity. So basically, we'd be like that Bob Dylan film. Oh, that's quite a good film. I like Is that. Is it good? Um, well, I haven't actually seen it, but um, <laughs> I, I appreciate that it exists I, in the world. I love the concept of it that much that I'm willing to say it's a good film, even if I've not seen it. That's, That's our new podcast concept. I haven't read it, but I've heard it's good. He's, um, yeah. who's, who's Rob Liddle? Rob Liddle. He's got all gravy on him, isn't he? Yeah. I probably said his name wrong. And wrote it down wrong. It was Rod Little, that's why, that's why I went, ooh, because that wouldn't be, I could imagine Ben wouldn't want to read that book. And if you want to tweet us, you can, of course, do so at BTL Podcast. And with that, let's finish up on our C's and go to school. Cruxwin University is the seat of learning from which hails the philosopher Vroomfondel. He was the youngest graduate of the university, so Mr Hickman, as our resident lecturer... What do you think university is like for luminaries, sages and other thinking persons? It will depend on what type of university Cruxwan is and we don't really know enough about it. Um, is it what we would now call a former polytechnic, which when um, this was written would have been a polytechnic? Or is it a Russell group? Or is it is it something um, a little bit more in the kind of Oxbridge of the galaxy um, a red brick. I was. I, I. I placed it as red brick just in my little head. I hadn't thought about the uh, the fact that they still would have been polytechnical colleges at the uh, at this point. So I think we can fairly say that uh, Douglas means it's a university. But I'd go to thinking of sort of Edinburgh or uh, Birmingham or Durham, maybe something like that. So you think they're um, they've still got a little bit to prove? But yes, um, not top tier, but not shabby. Okay. Not too shabby. Full of lots of posh people who aren't quite clever enough to make it to the uh, the big ones on Beetlejuice <laughs> or... Uh... Alpha Centauri, that's where you put things when you're not sure yes, what to say, isn't it, John? <laughs> it's either that or lots of very, very intelligent people who weren't rich enough to uh, to be able to afford to board uh, one of the really posh... The, uh, the Beetle Centauri... Uh, sort of pair of universities is it holds a, a dreadful uh stranglehold on the, the university's media <laughs> <laughs> oh i met him the other day yeah he's one of that one of that beetle relot so what are they also what what, uh, what does everyone take it's um beetle centuri um that's the equivalent of the uh is it the ppp oh, is it, John? Uh, yeah politics philosophy and economics or whether it's PPE, sorry. Yeah, um, and spelling. <laughs> things that we are absolutely clear that the universe has absolute. This particular universe has very little need for is economics because the universe is absolutely economically uh, mental. Yes. Yes. Um, 
politically, I think there's quite a lot of things to choose, and we've got a lot of philosophy. Obviously, Vroom Fondle has uh, been studying uh, philosophy there, hasn't he? So, um, what's well, you've got to wonder if Vroom Fondle is actually doing like a PPE type thing, and and, and is soon going to you know uh, storm the centre ground of left <laughs> politics. <laughs> It's just, I mean, I, we don't really know what happened to Vroom Funnel in the end, but maybe he uh, ends up, I don't know, running a nationalised, in, running an ex-nationalised industry, or uh, maybe he's on the board of the BBC Trust, I don't know. Or he's on, uh, he's, he's on the galactic version of the, uh, the, the sofa with, um, hello? Oh, Vroom. <laughs> I'm wondering, is, because um, this, this is old, isn't it? To be a, a philosopher at a university in space of the late 1970s um i mean there's a lot of cordial about but i imagine it's a lot more relaxing there's no sort of um like european wide research frameworks that you've got to contribute to to get your funding Mm. that sort of thing i quite like the idea that that i I get a sense that there's um some uh there's an activist tendency to their um to their academic approach because they're essentially they're, they're storming this thing and they're causing a scene they feel almost like um 1960s and 70s french lecturers not not like french in an english university but like in france they feel like the sort of people who would be out protesting with their students regularly um and um yeah i think i think that that's that's the sort of vibe I get from them. I don't know what you thought, thought John. I can totally see that. I was, I was thinking, um, yeah, yeah, denim, facial hair. This, um, we're not, uh, we're not treated a lot to uh, descriptions of uh, facial hair in the in the in the trilogy, are we really? Um, well, presumably everyone had some because it was the seventies. Yes, uh, all that. Yes, I mean, now I'm just thinking of uh, Sean Connery and Zardoz, in which uh, the hair does not stop at the facial. <laughs> And I just, um, I'm, I'm drifting away a little bit. Uh, yeah, I can. So, um, so yeah, they, they put me. They do put me in mind of of sort of radical um, radical academics that you might have found in in Europe. Um, and certainly, with this sort of intervention that they're making, they're pushing towards uh, public intellectualism, the sort of thing that we'd call building impact into your work nowadays, which is a little bit less sexy than uh, than being a public intellectual. I could I could almost imagine they're the sort of public intellectuals who would turn up in the. Uh, the galactic version of a Woody Allen film to um, speak a treatise on their own work in a queue for a cinema showing of a, of a movie starring Zayford Beeblebrox. <laughs> I love it. I've now got visions of uh, Vroom Fondle climbing through uh, the window of his um, professor's house, wearing a tweed jacket and getting drunk and uh, spewing all over the dahlias. <laughs> I'm now essentially thinking it's, uh, it's sort of like Space Lucky Jim. <laughs> and now, let's get snooty. Dastragar, Dastragar, Dastragar is the maitre d'bot of the starship Titanic in the video game of the same name, voiced by Philip Pope, who also voices the lift, and whom we'll discuss in a later episode, as he's got a lot more to offer. If the player prods Daggerstar uh, in the Achilles buttock several times, he lets the player sit at the table of a dead passenger, which is a thing you have to do. John Bounds, you've read the book. Does Daggerstar Dag Dag does 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 he make an appearance? No. Okay. But um, is he, uh, <laughs> the the role of him is actually uh, in the book taken up by lots of um, sort of like bots that are in charge of different parts of the ship. I think, and uh, sort of well, spoiler alert, um, they spoil the book from about the third chapter. <laughs> 
Well, um, there, there are in the game a bunch of different bots, um, but it's just specifically there is a, a restaurant, uh, maitre d', uh, uh, who has an outrageous French accent and you can put him in, poke him in his Achilles buttock and, uh, he asks you, I think you have to do it like a dozen times and there's a different response for each time you do it. I was going to say, there's no poking in the buttock uh, of this kind. No. Of <laughs> uh, the kind you're talking about in the book. But uh, now you're now I'm thinking about it, there might actually be uh, a maitre d'. Yes, there is a maitre d' in the book. I've got no idea if it's called that. I read the book very quickly, or yeah. quicker even than Terry Jones wrote <laughs> it, and I can't remember. <laughs> so, Mark, can you talk us through Can you talk us through an Achilles buttock? Is that given any explanation, or is it just a kind of a throwaway it was gag? It was the buttock that his mum was holding him by when she dipped him into the French uh, maitre d' juice. <laughs> You will be the best maitre d' except for your buttock. Exactly. And now, let's go over here. Damagran is the place on which was housed the starship Heart of Gold before it was stolen by Zaphod. It's 500,000 light years from our sun and made up of lots of middling to large desert islands, one of which, if memory serves, is called France. Here, Adams makes a point about coincidences being unavoidable, so I can't help but ask, Mr H, given the role the improbability drive plays in the universe, can coincidences exist? If you think about coincidences that happen to you, they're generally, I think, fairly easily explained. Okay. They're just, um, they're just neat things that happen to you. and um, As in like, yeah. oh, that's neat, or... Neat as in tied in a bow. Yeah, well, yeah, well neat, in, neat in both sense of the word. So, okay. for, uh, can you think of a, a time when there was a coincidence that happened to you, for example, John? Well, I've, yeah, uh, oh, blimey. I probably can. Um, well, mm, most of the coincidences that have happened to me uh, would be uh, chance meetings rather than coincidences, like meeting someone who you would not think uh, would possibly be there. I was once sitting outside a, a cafe in Amsterdam. Uh, with a group of friends, not that sort of cafe. I think we were having an egg on toast, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a huge swaying uh, Rastafarian uh, came past, and um, some of the couple of friends uh, I was with were uh, quite nervous, and the guy seemed to be honing in on our table, and he got very close, and he said, "Johnny Bounds, St Mary's School, Hansworth." And it was a chap I'd gone to school with. Uh, I didn't recognise him. I said, but uh, good luck for him for recognising right. me as well, because I'd got a lot taller. <laughs> OK, so, right. So if we take that and you tell someone that story and they say to you, oh, what a coincidence. Well, you could say to them, well, actually, it's not that much of a coincidence. I was at a period of my life where I had enough disposable income to go on holiday, uh, but I was working, so I didn't want to go too far. Amsterdam's quite close. Uh, at, at an age where Amsterdam sounded a little bit fun and a little bit racy, Everyone else in the same life cycle as me is going to be having similar decisions. So at any given time, there's probably some people who I know going to Amsterdam for a weekend at the same time when I'm going to Amsterdam for a weekend. Then you're going to have to intersect. Okay, maybe there's something else going on there. But the chances of people like you being in a place that you're in are actually quite easily explainable in terms of systems if you go far enough and you can map them out far enough to would you agree? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally. Uh, I don't really believe in coincidences. So the, the, the idea that you think, uh, the idea that you think of someone and then they phone up, uh, is explained away by the fact that millions of times you think of someone, and you, they don't phone up, uh, and that, that, and that, and that, <laughs> and that mainly happens when you think of uh, girls mm. when you're in your uh, 
early 20s. But so, yeah, so there is coincidence, lots of coincidences would be explained away by our biases. But I was, I was wondering in the, the, the idea of the island being named France was that, okay, in our English language, such that we all experience the book through, there are a limited number, quite a lot, but a limited number of phonemes, right? So, um, purely by thinking of that there are a limited number that would produce uh, pronounceable uh, combinations that were short enough or whatever, so it'd be fairly uh, likely eventually, with all given the infinite um, land masses and objects and nouns through the universe, that one would be called France. Yeah, but then again, well, a real world example of that is the thing I saw saw yesterday, where somebody had um, used uh, a neural net to generate beer names, and actually had a commission from a brewer to generate some names for them. And uh, as you say, there's a limited number of phonemes, and the way that some this person's written up what happened is like, well, I gave it the f- I let it have a le- first level of complexity to generate names, and basically what it does is it comes out with um, so saison is a type of beer. It comes out with beers called saison du saison du saison because it's not allowed to be very complicated, um, and then it gets given wider and wider parameters to to work with and eventually in the words of the person who who wrote this up it it spontaneously discovered the existence of kale now it hadn't been programmed with the word kale but it got hold of the fact that kale exists kale was a set of phonemes that worked together and became obsessed with generating beers called kale ipa saison kale <laughs> saison du kale um kale porter um who was big in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and and there's a there's an example there where an actual a, a relatively simple computer program has actually been been asked to to come up with some things, and it just in, it invents kale for itself, thinks it's a wonderful word, and carries on with it. So in infinite probability terms, then yeah, France would exist. But there are some some completely unexplainable coincidences, like the fact that there's enough news every day to exactly fill the uh, ten o'clock news. <laughs> uh, a lot a, a lot of uh, a lot of coincidences. It just turns out that people are uh, are t- telling you a version of a uh, of an urban legend. So, um, so oh, well, really? You're another person who's got a friend who had a, uh, a hotel booked out from underneath them by the day by David Beckham and Victoria Beckham. Did that really happen to you as well? Because everyone over there thinks it's happened to them too. Oh no, no, they don't think it's happened to them. They they they, they swear blind that they know someone that yes, it happened to. Yes. It's, it's never happened to anyone. It's always happened to your your friend's brother-in-law. Yes, exactly. It's customary at this time to recommend a book that we like, so, not being one to break tradition, let's go with The Player of Games, which is the second book in Ian Banks's Culture series. It's a book that our own Danny Smith described as hard sci-fi, but with humour running through it like fat marbling a good steak. Mm, if you like the sound of that, you can pick it up for free and check out Audible's incredible collection of spoken word titles by going to audibletrial.com slash leopard. You'll get a 30-day free trial of their service, as well as an audiobook of your choice, and you'll be showing your support for our little show. But now, it's time to tip the hat to a legend. David Jason has two roles in episode six of the radio series as the captain of the Bee Ark and as the caveman who tries to spell library with one R, the poor bastard. He never got to reprise his role in the TV series, but he played a blinder as the clueless captain. So, gents, I ask you, what's your favourite David Jason role? I'm going to uh, maybe go a little bit mainstream, um, and I absolutely adore 
David Jason as uh, Blanco in the TV sitcom Porridge. Uh, mm. He um, oh nice. I mean, Porridge is bloody wonderful uh, in all respects, apart maybe apart from the fact that um, it uh, illustrated the racism and sexism of the incarcerated seventies male a little bit too well uh, for modern viewing. But um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, he's uh, so if you don't if you don't ever watch Porridge, uh, basically it's set in a prison, but a nice prison, the sort of prison where you could bide your time, you'd do it, you might come out with a. a O level in geography or something. You could. You, you, it, it sounds. It sounds all right. You know. Um, it's not like uh, the Shawshank uh, prison, or it's not like Brubaker. There are uh, Fulton Mackay hasn't got a, a farm full of dead prisoners that were slave laboured to death. Um, that are being covered up by the governor. That's just not happening. And in one episode, David Jason, who must have only been in his thirties at the time plays a sort of dodgery 70, 80-year-old guy who's uh, been in, co- in uh, put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Um, and uh, I won't... Uh, and they petitioned to uh, get him out. And he plays it brilliantly. Um, he's he's a wonderful character actor, is, uh, is David Jason. And um, it's... Uh, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, I mean, he's good in Hitchhikers... Uh, but um, I can't. I actually can't think of a bad performance. I, I think of bad things he's been in, but I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's performed badly in any of them. I agree, John. It's an interesting thing with Porridge. The fact that it's uh, you, you mentioned how it uh, does kind of capture that sexism and, and racism rather too well, um, but because it is now a canonical classic of uh, English sitcom, you can turn on the TV on a Sunday morning and it will be there at ten o'clock when you're watching it with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's after open all hours, uh, yeah, which also had David Jason. In yeah, it. so it's 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 slightly strange to see them casually sitting on their bunks with um, page three girls pinned up behind them. So there's like there's, there's boobs on Sunday mornings on TV. Um, I, I do find it interesting the way that we um, that watershed and uh, ratings gets deflated as things become um, part of the classics, as it were. I guess really it's like the fact that we can all appreciate a fine Renaissance nude, but we can't put up <laughs> a picture of, um, I don't, anyone, does anyone know the name of a porn star that the kids know? I don't know. Uh, I was going to say Samantha Fox. There we go. Lolo Ferrari. <laughs> That's the last one I can remember from that used to be the, the oh, La Chicolina, the ones that um, Pop Lee itself used to go on about. No, it's not one for the kids, is it? Okay. So yeah, but, so so you couldn't you you probably couldn't put a poster up of of those ladies, but you could put up a a nice uh, a nice tasteful Italian piece of art from the fifteen sixteen hundreds um, that's got it's got its boobs out or its bits or even you know a gentleman with his penis uh, just just flopping around. Um, that's that's fine so long as it's old and classic. Have either of you guys been to Florence and seen uh, Michelangelo's David? Yes, I've seen his David. I've, yeah, <laughs> my my word, I've seen his David. But um, so you, I don't, so it's, there's not a lot else in the ga- not a lot else in the gallery that um, so you have to walk through a lot of really quite uh, boring um, casts of statues and stuff until you get to it, and it's huge and it's spectacular. Yeah, his lizard's eye follows you around the room. It's not until you get there and you um, re- so you you sort of learn that it was uh, it was built to stand on top of something. So there's oh. he sort of gets bigger as he goes uh, upwards because it was built to. Uh, 
taking into account the perspective in which you'd be looking at it. Yeah, yeah. The foreshortening effect. Yeah, the foreshortening is uh, is what we all say when it's a little bit cold oh, in yes. October in Florence. Just but, perspective. Have some perspective. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just you should you should put me on top of a building if you want to look at this. It, gets, it, it definitely gets bigger as you get closer. But well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't know. But it, it's um it's. This has got absolutely nothing to do with David Jason, has it? Apart from the... <laughs> it's called David. <laughs> Michelangelo's David Jason. But there's one... He gets bigger as you, as you get closer to him. I just, but I think maybe he had a touch of frost, that was the problem. <laughs> but the, oh, you. The, uh, there's, uh, there is one thing um, in Porridge which uh, is um, censored on repeat viewings, at least the last time I watched it, which was probably on um, mainstream TV. There's a scene in which uh, Fletch... Um, Ronnie Barker is lying on his prison bunk um, reading The Sun, I think, but you can only see the back page. Um, and uh, he takes his paper down and leaves his hand there as he was holding it, uh, presenting a V to uh, the prison warder. And I actually saw that pixelated when I watched it. Wow, but if you squint your eyes, you can still see it. Well, I knew what it was. <laughs> Do you know what? I was just about to make make the point that um, isn't it funny? We're talking about Michelangelo's David, and I'm just looking through the show notes. There's a lot of Davids coming up here. What a coincidence! And I thought, no, there is a system behind this. It's called the. Fuck <laughs> I'm um, I'm a big fan of uh, David Jason's uh, voiceover work, not just being in Hitchhikers on the Radio, um, but uh, obviously Danger Mouse and uh, Danger Mouse's spin-off, Count Duckula, I think would probably be my favourite David Jason pieces. Um, as much as Only Fools was uh, very, very big when I was uh, when I was a youngster and I think that we watched with the family, Count Duckula was uh, a real after-school treat and Danger Mouse a little bit earlier when I was still at home and I'd be having my lunch and we'd put that on the TV. Um, those are the things that I really grew up with from David Jason. John, yeah? we, are, we are of one mind. Oh, you are. Yeah, I'm so happy. Good. I'm feeling really old now. <laughs> One of the things I only realised recently was, um, as much as I'd watched Danger Mouse when when I was little, um, Count Duckula kind of arrived in my con- arrived in my consciousness as a complete thing, and I hadn't realised that it was a spin off from um, from Danger Mouse. Uh, obviously, it's it's Cosgrove Hall, um, and obviously it's some of the same voice actors. And I think by the time you're seven or eight, you start to realise how these things work. There are certain companies that make certain things and work with certain actors and you recognise the voices. Yeah, but there's only like and three you people. That Indiana Jones and Han Solo are the same person. <laughs> um, and and you, you, you do all, all of those things. But I'd, I'd never twigged, for whatever reason, I hadn't remembered the, the Danger Mouse episodes with Count Duckula in What? Them. And I only realised what... The- you don't know that Count Duckula I've was never, in it? Or? No, I have no idea these two things were connected. Yes, Count Duckula started off as, a, as an antagonist in Danger Mouse. Crikey. And I found this out because my kids are watching New Danger Mouse. And um, Count Duckula started appearing in that as an antagonist and in the and in the comic as well. And I was like, why have they done this? Why have they taken a Cosgrove Hall character from there and reimagined it into this? But actually, it's the original Count Duckula. So Duckula in Danger Mouse was voiced by David Jason. So it was David Jason playing DM fighting himself playing Duckula. And Duckula was not vegetarian and was obsessed with fame and trying to become world famous. But obviously he couldn't be photographed because he was a vampire, so that's a good joke. Um, That's amazing. It's really amazing to me. And so... Yeah, the heart of Transylvania... Mind-blowing, isn't it? In the Vampire Hall of Fame, yeah. There's not a vampire zania. 
than Duckula. Yes. So you know that thing that you know that sort of thing that proves that Lovejoy is part of the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> someone's done the research and there's a system of uh, saying okay so this character all appeared in a marvel comic and this character also appeared in blah 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 and there's it was about something like 20 or 30 degrees of connection including like a an off-script lovejoy comic relief sketch or something and eventually it can be proved that lovejoy exists in the marvel universe that's amazing i think um comic relief is responsible for lots of breakings in continuity of of various stories mostly eastenders mark they've really fucked up eastenders continuity (laughs) well because of the way alphabets work let's have ourselves another david david tate was a huge force within the first two radio series he voiced in order of appearance the vogon guard ford tries to reason with eddie the shipboard computer benji the mouse the arcturan mega freighter captain the megadodo publications receptionist the happy vertical people transporter the Frogstar prison relations officer a vogon garden computer the uh, dolman saxlil shoe corporation educational film announcer the computeach and the elitnils who radio listeners will know from the second series. So, do either of you have a favourite character from this roster? The ship-throwing Vogon Guard, uh, right from the first episode, has one of the best lines in the entire canon for me. Yes, he does. Uh, and the line, of course, is... Well, they are, they're good. They have to be. But now you come to mention it, I, I suppose most of the actual minutes are pretty lousy. Which explains <laughs> um, virtually every <laughs> job we've ever had, right? Yes, absolutely. Wonderful yeah. line. And what's interesting about this roster of characters is that they feature a lot of characters who have got that sort of job. Must be something about this this actor that's a, attracting these kind of um, these ancillary service um, characters. Now, before we move on to our next topic, there's just time to reveal our hypothetical Netflix casting pick of Marvin. And it turns out the hastily pulled out of my backside pick of Dylan Moran is in first place with second going to Danny's pick of Donald Sutherland. So Dylan will join our hypothetical Netflix TV casting lineup, along with Simon Pegg, Michael Sheen, Tamsin Grieg, and hashtag PitDep. And now it's time to get needlessly messianic. Deep Thought designed the Earth for the pan-dimensional beings that wanted to know the question of life, the universe, and everything, but weren't very good at framing questions. In the radio series, it was voiced by Jeffrey McGiven, who Clever Clogs will know also voiced Ford. So, Mr. Bounds, given that this computer was supposedly the most advanced of its time, can we really be expected to believe that it couldn't come up with a better answer than 42? Now, earlier when we were talking about uh, Red Brick Universities, I went to one of those, and it turns out that I went to a very, very good uh, computer science department, very well respected. It turns out that lots of those uh, lecturers that I was lectured by were um, really brilliantly uh, well respected in their fields and also in the small offices they had in uh, the University of Birmingham. But I didn't really know any of that. Um, there wasn't really the internet to find out that they were that good. But what they did teach me is uh, a little uh, acronym, uh, GIGO, which stands for Garbage In garbage out so what it means is if the question wasn't good of course the answer was going to be rubbish it's nothing about your digestive system and uh, the colors it goes when you've eaten beetroot it's um 
the idea that yeah so basically a computer is only as good as the programming which we can understand and the the data it's given so the question is crap isn't it uh but I think what's really interesting to me about um, Deep Thought is it exists on a slightly different uh, sort of mental register of computers. So we know that we're 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 just at the kind of start of the idea of the personal computer when uh, Hitchhikers is being conceived. But we've still got that sort of sort of mental hangover of these large. Uh, almost more than mainframe computers. The computers that are so big, they only really have one function and they have one uh, name and they do this one thing. So um, I was just trying to think of a few and um, there was ENIAC, which was the American one, I think, just after the Second World War. But then the famous one in England, and Douglas would have known, of course, was Ernie. And what did what was Ernie? What was Ernie's one job? He peed... <laughs> He picked the numbers for the premium bonds, a thing that could essentially have been done by a bingo machine. <laughs> Do you think, I want, I'd like to know what the test scripts were, what they were testing out, what they, uh, what they, what they, what they, what sort of little, what other questions did they ask Deep Thought before they got to the ultimate question, just to to prove that it was working. Well, the thing is, I mean, what's what's kind of astounding if we think about computing power now, we can't make a computer even understand like we can't make a computer have the conversation that deep thought has with um lunkville and uh funk i think it is lunkville and funk uh i think those are the names the 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 two people who who uh initially program and communicate with deep thought they have an actual verbal conversation that has interruptions and it has uh idioms and we can't so forget us even being able to make a computer that can answer a question other than uh was the actor in this film also in bros we can't even make a computer that can do the thing that deep thought wasn't even designed to do which is just to communicate and 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 that's so it's sort of you wouldn't have to worry necessarily about test questions because if a computer is advanced enough to be able to converse with you and to interrupt when someone else is speaking and repeat himself because he knows he hasn't been heard, which he does, then a computer is already advanced enough to deduce the existence of rice pudding and income tax. Um, I, yeah, so it is. It is an incredible machine. Well, it's amazing, but we only, as we know, it's only the second most powerful computer of all, of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, but it's. I. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would say forty-two, of course, um, as permeate forty-two and towels have permeated sort of idea space since um, the Hitchhikers. But Deep Thought has its own um, real. Uh, I don't know. It is, um, despite the fact that it doesn't come up with a good answer, it um, has really sort of uh, propped up the uh, the economy, mankind's love. Well, but the computer economy certainly. It's pro- it's propped up the mainframe. Well, it, it's propped up the economy of the. We actually don't ever find out um, what world Deep Thought was constructed on, and what the beings, the, the names of the beings are, the actual like species that. Um, uh, that, that that designed the machine. We don't know what they are, but um, 
he by by explaining to the philosophers Vroom Fondle and Magic Thighs that they can basically be pundits and then for three million oh seven sorry was it seven and a half million years their ancestors will keep going down the the the, the line and being TV 3D TV pundits he basically created an industry so you know his his whole thing of not just figuring out how to answer the question he also figured out how to sustain the economy um and sustain the people around him by generating uh the the 24 you know deep thought invented the 24 hour news cycle news just in we still know nothing i was just gonna say that yeah could you imagine how standing outside the door of deep thought going so uh special report just in now we're just gonna break from this uh television of brock <laughs> uh, from this televised brockian ultra cricket mac- uh, match to let you know that uh we still don't know anything more as soon as we know it the door will open and then like a janitor will walk out another <laughs> No, but would they be able to sustain it? So we know how long they can sustain uh, interest in a a royal baby not being born, (laughs) um, showing from outside the hospital. But have you ever heard this anecdote? It may be apocryphal, but the the, the Russians invented a everlasting light bulb. But apparently um, it was a big splash. And then uh, every so often at the bottom on the front page of Pravda every day, a line that essentially said, light bulb still on. It was like an update. Oh wow! <laughs> of the fact that it hadn't uh, it hadn't popped. I don't. I have no idea uh, where I heard that from. In the film, um, the computer is voiced by Helen Mirren, uh, and uh, she has a visible resemblance to the TV version, which I'm now starting to wonder whether it was perhaps modelled on Ernie from <laughs> uh, from back in the day. I've got no idea. Um, I, I'm thinking that you've got a computer that lasts that long. What are the chances? A, if someone not tripping over the power, like the cleaner's not unplugging it at some point. <laughs> or some, you get to it and you're going to get the answer to the life, the universe and everything. And you no longer have, or they don't make the peripheral that you need to get the information out. Apple will sell you a dongle to get the answer out of your deep thought. It's fine. And sadly, that is all we have for you this week. Mr. Bounds, what will keep you busy until we next meet? I'm uh, currently uh, writing an article for a fanzine called Between the Click and the Bang, which I hope will come out in a few weeks. Uh, And then at that point, I may explain to people what that uh, time frame is. But uh, follow me at Bound on Twitter, and I'll uh, I'll be sure to let you know. Exciting! What about you, Mister H? Just just find me on on the internet. I'm at John Hickman. If you want to see something that I've done recently and if you're in the uk it might make sense to you i bloody hate the tesco adverts that are out at the minute so i've made a thing on the internet for you about it uh go to the plan.co.uk forward slash tesco generator and have some fun with that for me uh, and also you might want to consider uh listening to a thread which is the podcast that uh mr hickman and i do and it's uh, it's quite good and that just about wraps it up for the leopard you can tweet or email us your deep thought thoughts all the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com along with all of our past episodes links and show notes thanks again to audible for sponsoring this episode don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard and we would very much appreciate a review or a thumbs up or a star or any other way that you can use your podcasting app to make us feel important We'll be back next Thursday. So until then, share and enjoy.
Marvin shouldn't know of the existence of BBC Local Radio. That's not okay. He's got the brain the size of a planet. <laughs> yes, he can deduce the existence of BBC Local Radio. He knows. He knows all about Ed Doolan.